The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 119. Today we're talking about stopping self-sacrificing, moms. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving, when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives and to take family and life to a new level of peace and cooperation. I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the mom of two girls, ages 8 and 11 now. Holy schmoly. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast, dear listener. I'm so glad you are here today. This is another episode with Carla Nomberg and myself. Welcome. If you are brand new to the podcast, Carla is my friend who comes on about every month or so, and she'll tell you about herself. And this is going to be a great conversation. And it's released a day early, you may have noticed, because we are going to be talking about the problem with mommy martyrdom. And today, the day this is released, if you were listening in actual real time on May 14th, 2018, is the first day of the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge that I'm doing. And you can still jump in and be part of that. And there'll be a live training today at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And I'll be, we'll be, have interactions in the Facebook group. There's already hundreds of mamas in there. And it is about becoming less overwhelmed, reclaiming your time, reclaiming your sanity. And that's also what Carla and I are talking about today. We're going to talk about the six signs that you might be having some self-sacrificing mom stuff going on for yourself, how to get out of that rut. And Carla is going to lay the truth on you in the end about whether, you know, you should squeeze stuff in. Wait till you hear what Carla has to say. And I am 100% on board. So you will just have to see that. You're going to listen up for the, the teacup thing. It'll be something that will wake you up, hopefully. So I'm really excited for you to dive into this conversation. Before we dive in, of course, go to the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge page. You can find it at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. Unmartyr is U-N-M-A-R-T-Y-R. Or on the events page, you can find it. 
I will be doing that this week. And this is to launch some programs that I have coming up. And I am so excited to invite 12 amazing women to do some group coaching with me with the Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching. The application is open now. You can come and you can join now. We're going to be going through June, July, and August. It's going to be a really great group. I already have a feeling. And there's other stuff that's going to be happening too. I'm going to be opening up a very special offer on my classic and popular program called The Daily Practice, which is about helping you create your own daily practice. So these things are coming up. And if you're interested, you know, make sure you head over because the groups really fill up. And I'd love to work with you, love to have you, you know, maybe this is your time to, to finally claim, you know, invest your your time, invest your energy, invest your your money, your life, invest in becoming that less irritable, more joyful parent that you know you can be. And at the very least, come join me in the Mun Martyr Yourself Challenge Week, where you'll get some free live training this very week. So all sorts of stuff coming on. I really hope to connect with you over these ways. The Unmartyr Yourself Week is going to be a hella fun so certainly join me. So I'm so glad you're here. Without further ado, on to this conversation. Carla, I'm so glad to have you back on the Mindful Mama podcast. Hi, Hunter. I'm happy to be here. Yes. Will you introduce yourself to everybody, please? I would love to. My name is Carla Nomberg. I'm a clinical social worker and parent coach and the author of two books on mindfulness and parenting. And I'm writing my third book now, which is called How to Stop Losing Your Beep with Your Kid, except for the beep is not really part of the title. It's the actual word, but I'm trying not to have poor Hunter have to put like a warning on her podcast. So I have this book coming out about how to not lose your temper with your kids. And I live outside of Boston with my husband and my daughters who are seven, almost eight and nine years old. Yay. And Carla comes on the podcast. You have probably heard her before, dear listener. If you're new, this is that's your intro. But Carla is my friend who comes on the podcast every month or so to discuss random stuff, random beep. And today we're going to talk about mommy martyrdom, the self-sacrificing mama. Yes. 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 So I used to be one of them. I'm not anymore. Oh my goodness. I I covered. On the other side, whew, thank goodness. So before we dive into this, I just kind of want to give a quick history of sort of where this comes from, because back in the day when we were hunter-gatherers, I imagine there weren't a lot of mommy martyrs. But as the Industrial Revolution happened and as work became really divided and, and there was like this, the Industrial Revolution happened, men were working away from home, people are coming into cities, and women were, were home. And it was less of like a sort of a tribe and community. And women became sort of more isolated and more at home. And when we think about what was kind of going on at the time, like when men left home for the factory in the 19th century, middle-class women found themselves kind of freed up to spend more time on childcare. And before long, you know, they're told that such full-time care was essential. And it was kind of this beginning of this sort of cult of motherhood founded on the 
a principle that women were born to be mothers, which, you know, is biologically so, but that, that caring for children isn't just instinctive, that it's like completely fulfilling and that we shouldn't pursue any other pursuits. And this sort of mandate was like to self-sacrifice. And President Teddy Roosevelt in 1905, he said this, he addressed the National Congress of Mothers. He said, her very name stands for loving unselfishness and self-abnegation. Oh, barf. Oh, sorry. Can I just say that? Sorry. Oh, my goodness. So this, And there's yeah. another twist on it, too, that happened later. So if oh. our listeners have not read a book called All Joy and No Fun, The Paradox of Modern Parenthood by Jennifer Senior, you should go read it. It's like a sociological exploration of modern parenthood. And one of the things she talks about that's so interesting is that Parenting wasn't actually a word. It wasn't really a verb until I think like the 70s. So I'm going to just throw that out there, which is an interesting thing. You know, it used to be that we would just raise our kids to eventually grow up and, you know, if they were men to do whatever work their father did. And if they were women to be like homemakers and nurses and school teachers. And what did we call moms back then we called them housewives. This is all Jennifer senior stuff mm-hmm. because their primary job was to keep the house neat and have like a drink waiting for their husband when they got home. And yes, I'm realizing everything I'm saying is super heteronormative. So let's just <laughs> be okay with that right now because that was the time. And now what do we call moms who stay at home? We call them stay at home moms. Mm. And the shift was really, I think partially that our kids, we no longer have children for economic reasons. It's not like I am raising my child. So someday she can be a hedge fund manager although that would be awesome. But rather, we have them for sort of emotional reasons, like we want to pass down our legacies and raise children and have this experience. But our focus has gone from being housewives who took care of the house and cleaned and cooked to being stay-at-home moms whose primary job is to parent our children. And I think issues around parenting and mothering, because really there is still a massive gender gap here, have intensified a lot because we no longer know what we're raising our children to be. Like it used to be if your dad was a blacksmith or a banker, you grew up to be a blacksmith or a banker. My husband has a job now that literally like didn't exist when we were kids because there was no internet and there were no smartphones and there were no apps. And so it is possible that my children will grow up someday to have jobs that literally don't exist right now. And so I think part of the stress, and again, this is Jennifer Senior stuff that she points out, is that we parents feel like we have to prepare our children for literally anything and everything because we can't even conceive of who they need to grow up to be. And so I think that also contributes to this mommy martyrdom that if, and we can dive into this a little bit more, more, but this is one of the factors I think is a, this sort of shift in the, in the cultural understanding of a mom's role. It's no longer a housekeeper. It's now a mother a stay-at-home mom devoting all of her time to her children. But also, I think it is this idea that we have to be preparing our kids for anything and everything because we literally have no idea what they could end up doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely intensified. I mean, I don't think like my mom, you know, my mom wasn't worried. (laughs) My mom, I'm not sure my mom thought about it the way that we did. Or, you know, do you think your mom did? Oh, no, she absolutely didn't. And I remember even understanding this back when I was pregnant with my first daughter and they came back with some disturbing test results that turned out to not be true. My daughter, thank goodness was healthy. And I called up my mom freaking out. And I remember her saying, 
we didn't have all this information when I was pregnant with you. And that was better. Like you all are getting too much information. And I remember writing her off and being like, yeah, what does she know? This is, I need all this information. I have to have it. But that constant flow of information has been a major theme, I think, for all of us who are parenting in this day and age. And I think it contributes to this constant sense of there's more we should be doing. There's like, we have to worry about this. We have to do that. If our kid doesn't get this, it could be a problem for that. And so I absolutely think you're right, Hunter, that our parents weren't worrying about this stuff. I mean, they worried about other stuff for sure, but they weren't worrying about this stuff in the same way. And I think they were probably mommy martyrs, of course, back when we were kids. But I think it is my sense is that it's much more pervasive now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18+, plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Rituals Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. So full disclosure, I don't think I ever was a mommy martyr. This is not something that, like, I have been blessed and with a certain amount of selfishness. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting my hands in the air right now. <laughs> that I, like, when my children were born and, you know, I had these conversations with my husband and I was like, I really wanted him to be just as fully involved as I was. And I didn't want to take over everything. I didn't want to control everything. I didn't feel like, I don't know, I didn't get that sense of like, this is so important to who I am. Because I guess for me, I had this sort of maybe other identity, you know, I was making art and I really wanted to continue to to do my painting. And that was important to me as much as, you know, and motherhood was incredibly important to me. Like these children were obviously like this child was, you know, through my life all out of whack and totally upside down. But throughout that whole process of my first daughter being born and the pregnancy and 
actually, sir, my greatest fear was that I would kind of lose myself and that I would lose my life and sort of all these these passions and interests and curiosities and things that I have and the way I want to like contribute to the world and be engaged in the world. And so I was really scared of, of kind of losing all that. So, so for me, when, you know, that first year, which can be a game changer as far as like setting habits that kind of go and play into motion uh, throughout the rest of our kids' childhood and in our marriage or partnership, if we have one during that time, I, was like protective of my time. And I was home with my kids. I, I wasn't working a full-time job anymore, but then I was, I was really conscious of making sure I had this time for other parts of my life too. So it's interesting because this is something I work with with my clients a lot, is this idea of working with this sense of valuing, taking back some time for yourself. And we talk about all the reasons why and modeling a healthy, balanced life as best you can for your kids and and having your own life so you're not kind of putting all that pressure on your kids to be everything for you. So this is something I work with with my clients a lot. But personally, it was something, this was not my struggle, but it sounds like it kind of was for you, Carla. Yeah. And at the time I couldn't have understood it. I was in such a fog and I'll talk about that in a sec that I I didn't see it. It wasn't like I set out this plan to be this way, but now looking back at it almost a decade later, I know exactly where it came from. And for me, it was totally rooted in super intense anxiety. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I had a wicked case of postpartum anxiety that just morphed into generalized anxiety. And I didn't really fully treat that until about three or four years ago. So it was like five years of me just being insanely anxious all the time. And it's interesting, Hunter, because you said something when you were talking right now, and you were like, my greatest fear was that I would lose myself. And the minute you said that, in my mind, I was like, really? Because my greatest fear was that one of my kids was going to die. And that was something I thought about all the time. Aww. And that, yeah, I remember having a conversation with a friend when my daughter was like a year old. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think about when my kids dying like every day. And she was like, what? Why would, what? No. And I said, don't you? And she's like, no, I don't. Why would I do that? No, of course not. And then I was like, ha, 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 you're not Jewish. That's why. <laughs> and when I talked to my Jewish friends, they're all like, yeah, of course we think about it. Oh, no. Who doesn't do that? So oh, there no. may be like a cultural piece there, but for sure there was an anxiety piece. And so for me, the mommy martyr wasn't because I derived any like innate joy or satisfaction or anything from giving up everything and constantly focusing on my kids. It's because I was, my anxiety was driving that. And really when I treated the anxiety, those habits started to change and I really sort of calmed down enough that I could actually chill really. And like take time for myself and do fun stuff because I was no longer worried that I was missing out on something epically crucial for my kids. And so I was thinking about, I think the mommy martyrdom stuff can come from a whole lot of places. I think it can come from cultural and sociological issues like we've sort of touched on. But I also think it can come from a place of anxiety. It can come from a place of confusion, fear. I think that also, you know, as moms are having babies later, many of those mothers have been in the workplace and they've been very successful in their careers. I mean, you want to make something happen in this world, you go to the PTA. Because those moms who are running the PTA have, many of them have had these amazing careers where they were 
kicking butt, taking names, getting stuff done. And now they transfer that energy over and it's like, we should have them running the world. But I think there is that place of, if you've had a really driven career, it can be hard to switch tracks and realize that what is needed from your kids is very, very different from what your clients or your boss needs. You know, your clients and your boss expect performance and output and action items and whatever those things that career people do that are important and they matter in the workplace, but checking things off your list isn't the crucial stuff in parenting. And I think for many moms, it can be very hard to make that switch. So I think there's a lot of different factors that can contribute to the mommy martyr thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think one of it is that achievement culture, right? Like busy, go do achievement culture. Like we're good when we are getting things done and achieving things. And and that's something that has also switched with time. I mean, it used to be that the sign of the upper class, the wealthy, whatever was leisure time, right? Mm -hmm. If you were rich, you didn't have to be out working in the fields all day. And you could sit around and drink your tea and smoke your opium and whatever rich people do. I don't know. But now it's just the opposite, right? So the the new status symbol is busy. Like I am so busy. I have 87 things on my to-do list and I haven't sat down since, you know, three o'clock this morning and I wake up early to get it all done. That is the new status symbol. And it's, it's a problem. For sure. Well, look at some of what are like the hallmarks of this. Cause like sometimes if you're, you know, obviously like when you were in that, you weren't seeing it so much, right? Like you're just yeah. in the, you're a fish in the water. You're not seeing the water. So what I are- I thought s- I was being a good mom. I thought that was what good moms did. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the signs that were kind of maybe going overboard? And I think one of them is definitely- feeling like super busy all the time, like having to do everything. Like, I mean, for sure. And and this can show up in many different ways. I mean, I remember having a little bit of this for sure when, because I was in this sort of crunchy milieu and, and I felt like I had to do my community garden and water the plants in the community garden and make bread <laughs> and like hang up all my clothes and never put them in a dryer. And that's awful. Towels are the worst. No, they're the worst. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think this chronic sense of busyness is for sure. One thing. Yeah. I think chronic, just exhaustion. Like, yes, when the babies are new or if you, I'm sorry, are one of those people who was just not lucky and you didn't get a sleeper. I mean, if you have a child who's legit keeping you up in the middle of the night, fine, you're going to be exhausted. You just need to be super kind with yourself about that and go slowly and remind yourself it's not going to last forever. But if your kid is sleeping and you're chronically exhausted because you're up working too late or stressing out, like it's time to figure that out. And I know it's not, it's not always as easy as just get your butt in bed, but you have to work on the sleep stuff. So that's really on you. And for me, I ended up going to a sleep specialist and it helped and I did get sleep and I sleep great now most nights. So like if you are chronically exhausted, that is something you need to work on because it doesn't have to be that way. I think another piece too is irritability. And for me, the irritability came out in a few different ways. One was I was yelling at my kids a whole lot more than I am now. And that's actually my whole experience along with a lot of research is what's driving my current book, how to stop losing it with your kids. So I think irritability can be a sign of it. And also a desire to escape from your kids. And I'm not talking about the occasional like, run to Target or I need a vacation, but I was constantly looking for a way out. I was constantly like, I need a break. Like 
anything like can somebody take it from plate it can my in-laws like I just I needed a break I was so desperate for it it's because I hadn't figured out a way to sort of integrate those little breaks into my daily life so when I was just with my kids all the time it was the constant piling on and now and I don't mean to sound like a Pollyanna and I think part of it is that my kids are older and I'm not such mm-hmm. a baby person so the, the age of my kids makes a difference but I don't want to break from my kids most of the time because I'm giving myself those breaks every single day. So that means I don't constantly feel the need of like, I need a weekend away. Like Hunter, can we please go lead a retreat? So I'm getting away from my kids. Like I'm not in that place anymore. So I think this like a sense of resentment towards your family is a good yeah. sign that you may be dealing with this and just this constant desire to run away. That's definitely part of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's other signs that you can think about too. Like I'm wondering, you know, like maybe you never get a babysitter. That might be a sign that you're you're falling into this trap of feeling like you have to do it all the time. Because the truth is like a babysitter is the greatest investment in your well-being in some ways. Like I remember at some point when my daughters were little, Bill was able to, he, he got like a raise from his work and we were thinking about, okay, so what could we do? And we sat down and we consciously said like, what could we do with this money that would actually bring us the most happiness and well-being? And we zeroed in on more babysitter time because yeah. at the yeah. time, like, we really need it, needed it. And if you can't get a babysitter, like there are ways to be creative about this. You know, you can swap with people, et cetera. When my kids were little, I had a, a mother's helper come who was a homeschooled kid. She was 12 years old. She had done the babysitter class. She came, she would hang out with the kids while I was around the house, or maybe I went for a run, or maybe I went out to the painting studio or whatever, but it was cheap. Then, I mean, if you're there, that takes half the responsibility away. So it's a lot less expensive. So there are ways to kind of create some of that time for yourself as far as like giving yourself some of that time, right? Like reclaiming that time. Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. I love, no, it's a great point. I love it. And for me, it wasn't that I wouldn't get a babysitter, but okay, ready? I'm laying my crazy out here. (laughs) In those early years, I would only get a babysitter who had a master's degree in some related <laughs> to like childcare. So this is nuts. I'd be like, oh, sorry, your master's degree is in like environmental science. No, that's not going to work. It's crazy. And now I'm like, oh, you have a pulse and you seem nice. Yeah, come, come, take care of it. No, no, but for reals, you know, I want folks to remember that it's, it's not just good for you. It is good for your kids because they need to get in the habit, get that flexibility of knowing that multiple people can take care of them, that there are different ways to interact with adults and that different adults can have fun with them and keep them safe. I would also add that if you are a stay-at-home parent or a working parent and you really don't want to be, some of us are staying at home or working because financially we have to, and I understand that. But if you are staying home with your kids because you feel like anything other is not good enough for them, I would like you to rethink that. Mm. So you are not doing your kids any favors. And this may be a little controversial, but I really believe it. By staying home with them out of a sense of like guilt or responsibility, like you have to, because nobody else can raise your kids. Amen. And again, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, and I, I want to acknowledge that there are some of us who are home or at work because financially there's just no other way to do it. And that's reality. That's life. And you just got to be super kind to yourself about it and cut yourself some slack. But one of the greatest gifts my husband gave me is that when I was still pregnant, he said, you know, I don't really care what you do. 
if you want to finish your doctorate, if you want to go back to work, but you are not staying home with this child full time. And of course I was pregnant hormonal and I burst into tears and was like, why do you hate me? Do you think I'm not a good mom? But that's, that's not what he was saying. He was saying, I know my wife and she will go nuts if she is with her child constantly. And so we found a um, childcare, a daycare that would take the kids two days a week, which was what worked for me. And so that was great. And my husband, again, it was really a gift that he gave to me. And so, and I do know moms that are home and really don't enjoy it at all. I know some moms that are home too, and they love it. And it's exactly where they want to be. And that's great. So I just acknowledging where we are and that it's okay to have other people help you raise your children. Yeah. Yeah. And let's just talk about why that is for a second too, because I agree with hundred percent with what you said, because, but because the thing is, if you're home out of a sense of guilt and then that resentment breeds or out of a sense of, I'm not good enough unless I stay home with my kids or the yeah. sense of unworthiness, unless I do this, that's something you're going to really pass on to them, that resentment is going to pass on to them. They're going to feel that. I mean, really what our kids need, not necessarily us 24-7 in the like crappiest, unhappiest state <laughs> that we're in, but they actually need us to be a model for them on, about how to live a healthy life, about they need moms who are grounded, who have a sense of, a solid sense of worthiness and well-being and can impart that to their children. When you live a life of, I'm not good enough unless I do this, like you're going to pass that on to your kids. Like They're going to feel that. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. And that's what we, you know, we don't want to obviously give that to our kids. And then, you know, one other sign that you might think about, you know, that doing everything, like, are you always doing everything? (laughs) And this can mean a lot of different things. So like, it could mean you're doing things for your kids that they could be doing for themselves. Like you might have older kids, but you're still, you know, like doing everything for them from making their lunch to doing their laundry to making their bed or blah, blah, blah. You know, or are you doing all the things as far as like, you're the one keeping track of everything and, and different couples and, and partnerships. Like we, you know, single moms is a whole other story, but like we work things out in different ways, but I want to poke at the assumption that just because you're the mom and maybe even just because, you know, because you're staying home, that you're going to be the one in charge of every single thing. Like, and I think that this, this is a trap that we can, like going back to what I was saying earlier, fall into when we're young, that like we kind of have to do everything. And I want to push back against that because that doesn't necessarily help you, doesn't necessarily help your kids. And, you know, sacrifice yourself to chores and errands and keeping track of soccer and theater practice and et cetera constantly all the time. It's not a beautiful life to live. Like your kids need to have an example of how to live life in some way. So I was hanging out with a mom I just met the other day and we had just met and we were talking and I had told her about the amazing trip I went on to Costa Rica and how I was going to do this retreat again. I'm so excited to, to take moms to Costa Rica next April. 
And she's so excited about it. But she would say, she's like, wow, last time I went somewhere, you know, she said she had put together this like binder of all the things she does and like color coded with all these different things for like, and who to pick up and who to contact and when and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, no. So I think that's an interesting point. So I mean, just to pull back the curtain on how it works in my family. So my husband works full time out of the house in an office building in Boston and I work from home and I have a more flexible schedule because I work with clients from home over the phone and then I'm writing my book. And so because of our scheduling and at this point in our lives, it does logistically make sense for me to handle more of the stuff. So mm-hmm. my husband does all the laundry. Thank you, husband. He's the reason we have clean sheets. And he like does the kitty litter, he does other things, but I do a lot of the grocery shopping and sort of cleaning the kitchen and tidying stuff. And I definitely do most of the shopping of kids, like to and from school and soccer practice, whatever. But I went to California last week for work. So here's what I did to prepare. I copied the kids' schedule into my husband's Google calendar. So that was like four clicks of a button, soccer practice, copy to Josh's calendar, piano practice, copy over, that's all. So he knew, he could, he'd be perfectly capable of looking at his calendar seeing where the kids are. And then I was like, peace out, honey. Like he's a dad, he's involved. He's not like a babysitter. He knows what's going on. And if you're, if you have a parenting partner and if your parenting partner like can't pick it up, then I guess the question is how much of that is because you haven't been allowing them to do it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I have found is that every time I go away, because I am the default parent in our family, that's the phrase, just because I'm the one who's got the more flexible schedule. Every time I go in and come back, Josh and the girls have figured out a new or different way to do something. Like he'll figure out a new food they'll eat. Or one time I came home and he was like, yeah, I realized that if we pick out clothes in the evening, our mornings go much more smoothly. And I was like, don't, that's brilliant. So it turns out often to be a gift to our family. When I leave, Josh becomes the default parent and he figures out different ways to do stuff. And often they're better ways. And I just have been so stuck in our routine but I didn't figure it out. But if I was like micromanaging everything he does, not only would that stress me out, but it would prevent us from coming up with these like creative solutions to parenting. And yeah, if you are not the default parent, there are times when picking that up all of a sudden feels hard and it's confusing and you might fall out of the routine. And guess what? That's how you develop flexible kids because they learn that there are multiple different ways to do a thing and that sometimes you get confused and then you figure it out. So please moms, if you have parenting partners, please, please do not micromanage them and like do your best to let that go. Unless you're legitimately worried about the kid's safety with your parenting partner and then there are bigger issues going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting. And I, Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. 
I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. I really want to encourage the moms maybe who are listening or maybe if you listener, you have a friend who, who has someone, a mom who's pregnant, she, you could, or someone who's, who's about yeah. to become a mom, you could let, you know, give her this message now, you know, send her this podcast because this stuff, this kind of thing really starts when the baby's born. And if, especially if you're breastfeeding, the baby is really, really dependent on mom. And sometimes we're influenced by different factors that can say, oh, you need to have this primary attachment. It has to be mom and it has to be all these things. And having a baby is just kind of turns your life so upside down. And it gives you this new, I mean, for sure it gives, gave me this new sense of significance in the world. Like, wow, like I am really significant and so incredibly life alteringly important to this child, right? But our ego, meaning our sense of a separate self that can thrive off this sense of sense of significance and sense of importance. And sometimes that can be such a drive in some ways that we don't we don't let our partner have several hours with the baby or right. get the baby at night. Yep. We don't let our mom watch the baby for a day. We never pump or there are legitimate problems and things that happen. But that time in that first year of life is so crucial for this thing. And especially for saying, this is really hard. Your parenting is a lot of work and I need help and I need support and not to just like push through, but to acknowledge that we're human, we need support, we need help. And also to acknowledge that for your child, your child, and Carla, maybe you can speak to this a little bit more as a social worker and more of a researcher than I am, that your child can have multiple attachment figures. And that's actually can be really healthy for your child to, to have that. Do you know a little bit more about that research? Yeah. And the only important thing to say about it is, yes, it's absolutely true. <laughs> yes, you are right. A child can have multiple, uh, can and ideally should have multiple attachment figures. And it's great if there's a mom in the picture, but that's not the end all be all. We are not. And so who are my children attached to? Their father, me, their grandparents. You know, they went to a beautiful home-based daycare and they were totally attached to their caregiver. And then in preschool, they got super attached to their teachers. 
And obviously a teacher is not the same thing as a primary attachment figure, but whatever. The point is they have learned throughout their life that there are multiple adults who they can be safe with, trust, who will take care of them and who will love them. And so that is the model that they're going to hold in their minds as they go through their lives, which is that I live in a safe world. The people around me are safe and will take care of me and that they love me. And for the social worker and me and all of you other skeptics, you might be like, oh God, but this is not a safe world. And terrible things happen to kids and I need to be there to be the one to take care of them. Fine. That's your model, but let's not pass that along to our children. We want their default assumption to be working from a place of safety and security so that from that place, they can then be more discerning about who do they really want in their lives. And that's a topic for another broadcast, which might be a really interesting one. But I think, Hunter, you started to tip it over into something really interesting. You started to talk about support, like acknowledging you need mm-hmm. help. So maybe now we could touch on, like, if there are moms out there who are stuck in this mommy martyr place, but they're starting to, like, I want to wiggle free. I don't want to be in here anymore. How do we move out of that attitude and that perspective on parenting? Maybe now could be a time when we could give mom some tips. Yeah. Including, I, can I throw uh, that tip? Aren't you offering a course now about that? Uh, yes. that tip? Yes, of course. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this podcast is going to be out on May 15th or maybe May 14th. I might do it a day early in 2018. And so if you are listening in real time, hop over to mindfulmamamentor.com. You can look at events or I did make a mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr, but it's a little hard to spell. Anyway, I'm doing an unmartyr yourself challenge where we're going to, you're going to get support and tips and ideas from, and there's hundreds of moms already in this challenge who are, are ready to kind of push back against this whole idea. But yeah, that's a great way to get support for sure. When we think about how do we want to get out of this, like starting by acknowledging that, you know, just starting by acknowledging like what is going on and kind of accepting like, oh, this is what's been going on. And, and maybe it's not so great for me. Maybe it's not so great for my kids. I think of course that's the first step, right? Is to just be like, oh, I don't have to do this. There's options. There's choices. I can start to make new choices that are healthier for me and my family. So I think just first like acknowledging what is going on and and deciding to make another choice is important. Like don't just get, listen to this and be like, oh, I want to kind of move away from this and then go to soccer practice and go to grocery store and and then watch Netflix and then go to bed and forget the whole thing. Like, but just make a choice to be like, I'm going to change this. Hey, Carla. uh Oh, Hey, I'm here. Are you there? I'm here. Did Sorry, you lose I had me a, for a minute? I did lose you for a minute. I had a phone glitch, but I'm here now. So I totally didn't hear what you just said for the past 10 seconds because I was having this phone glitch. So tell me what to say. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm totally keeping this in. We're going to keep it real Thank here. You. Thank you. Thank you. That's I was great. just talking about like first step is to basically acknowledge. I, I that, heard that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's basically the first step, but I'm going to let you jump in with some, some more ideas for me. Yeah. And so I would say that one thing I want to say about acknowledging is just because if you are a stay at home mother And you do a whole lot for the school and a whole lot for the kids. That does not by definition mean that you are a martyr, right? Mm -hmm. I I have friends who are moms and that is how they live their life. And 
I'm in awe of them because it's a beautiful thing that brings them joy that is deeply fulfilling and meaningful. And they are balancing it with time off and time for themselves and time with their friends and parenting partners if they have them. And so I'm not really so interested in what you're doing, but sort of the motivation and perspective you have about what you're doing. And so that's what I want Mm. parents to think about because we just want you to do what brings meaning and joy to your life. And that looks really different for everyone. There's no one right way to be a mother. So Absolutely. I want to throw that out there. So I think two things that come to mind for me about changing this is one is that you're going to need support. You're going to need not only logistical support, because a big part of this is getting a break from your kids. And so does that mean getting a parenting partner on track more with this plan? Or does it mean hiring a babysitter or trading childcare time with friends? Again, like Hunter said, you can get creative, but giving yourself a little space and then figuring out what you want to do with that time and space. And, you know, I feel like the stereotype is go get a pedicure. Well, I can't stand pedicures and they're expensive. Like that is not my thing for me. It's going for a walk. It's doing a yoga video upstairs. It's reading my juicy mystery novel, just giving myself a little downtime or it's working and working on stuff that is meaningful to me, my work, which is separate from my parenting, right? Even though I write about parenting, it does feel like it's important to my identity and work. So what is it that you want to do with that time? And again, it's no right answer, except if you're doing it, if you're like, oh, well, I'll just use this time to clean up my kid's room. Like, really? Don't do that. Don't do that. Like, (laughs) figure out what you want to do. And so you're going to need the logistical help. And then you're sort of going to need the emotional support because this will be a transition, an identity transition. It will transition your relationships with the people who are closest to you. And so talking to those people about what this means for you and how to make this happen is going to be important. Yeah. And I think this can, you know, for, for people, it starts to happen in one of two ways. For some people, making really small changes is going to be the way to go. Like, you know, my kids, for example, they ride in a carpool twice a week in the mornings and they don't like their carpool. They're just not, they'd rather be with me alone in our car. The other family's lovely. They're perfectly nice. They the girls would just rather be with me in our car. Maybe because sometimes I stop at Dunkin' Donuts to get the munchkins, but sometimes I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just saying, but the point is, I don't, like, they're fine. They're going in the carpool. It's a lovely family. They can suck it up because then I get my time to do a longer yoga video that morning when they're gone. And when I was super anxious mom, I would have never sent them in that carpool. But twice a week, that's a small change that I've made that gives me more time for myself that I then use in a way that's really helpful. So For some moms, it's going to be these small changes, you know, saying to your kid, you can't do that extra soccer practice a week because it's too crazy for me to try to schlep you back and forth. Or, you know, it's going to be, look, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You forgot your homework. Like that's your problem to figure out with your teacher. And maybe tomorrow you'll remember I'm not driving back to school with it. And it's like, you know, getting a babysitter or getting the carpool or just, you know, making a choice that when you do have time off for your kids, you're going to devote it to yourself, whatever that means. And for some mothers, it's not the little changes. It's going to be, you're going to be like, I I need to just, I have a swear in my mind. It's not going to come. I'm not going to make you, you're going to mix it up, right? So you're going to be like, you know what? I'm done. I am done being a stay-at-home mom. I'm ready to go back into the workforce. I'm ready to get a part-time job. I'm ready to really make space for my parenting partner to step in and help in a significant way. And this is a negotiation that has to happen. For some moms, it is going to be a radical shift. And that's okay. Like do that. So it's going to work differently for different moms, but I think just starting to be aware of it and having that awareness, which you talked about Hunter is going to start opening your eyes up to what your options are and what the right options are for your family. And I also want to remind moms that everything changes so much in parenting and 
the kind of parent your children need now, whatever age they are, is not going to be the same parent they need in a year or two or three years. So if you look at your life right now and you're like, we are so in the mud with our schedule and the way things are in our financial situation, I can't make this change now. Okay, that's okay. So make the small changes and then think ahead to a year or two or three when your child might be in a different school or might have different physical or emotional needs or your family might be somewhere financially. Like, you know, if you get your kids out of preschool and into public school, that frees up a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So just keep in mind that maybe this is a slightly longer term goal for you, but you can start working on it in the small moments now. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely about a mindset. It's about a mindset shift. And actually there is, um, there's one, you know, and when we think about some of those small changes, kind of going back to what you're talking about, sort of the small changes you're talking about. Yeah. Like there was a survey by this macaroni kid. They surveyed 8,500 moms and they found out that 25% of moms admit they haven't done anything for themselves in more than a year. What? No. <laughs> yes. 25% of moms? Yes, who, in who this, this in this survey. Did you say a macaroni kid? A macaroni kid, yes. What did you uh, say? I did. I did. I think it's a, I believe it's a blog. I have to look it oh, up. Oh, it's a blog. I was like, what is a macaroni I think, kid? I think it's a blog. So it may be a self-selecting group, but oh, it's, really, it's really it's really sad, right? Like, this is yes. this isn't accomplishing anything. So when you think about some of those small steps you can do, like what can you do for yourself? Like what, what do you want to do? That's just for you. Like maybe you love roller skating and you haven't done it in a while. Could you go to a movie by yourself or like with a friend, you know, and, and are you taking time for friends? You know, are you, are you really taking care of yourself in, in a meaningful way? Like not, not like those, those pedicures (laughs) that we like to but if you love pedicures, Bust, if you love pedicures, if the pedicures give you huge satisfaction, and that's one of the things we do. Like if you join the the Unmartyr Yourself training, is the first thing I'm going to give you is this Unmartyr Yourself self care assessment, and you get to kind of like go in and check a little box that I'm doing this sometimes, I'm doing this all the time, and you can kind of assess in your life: Are you taking care of your your physical needs? Are you taking care of your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, your your need to grow and learn? You know, your need to to be with your your partner and your friends and and sometimes you we can hear that and think oh my god it's like another to-do list it's like another thing to do but i invite you to just think about this a changing changing your mindset right because this martyr mom life is, is no good for anybody and and the thing is that i always you know for me it always comes down to is this is like it's like we get this one life we get oh, this I crazy life i'm out. sorry carla i have to say I'm so sorry, Carla. No, but you are right, Hunter. We get this one chance. We get this one life. And how we live every day is how we're living our lives. So, but not, you know, I mean, today was a little hectic. We'll say tomorrow. Tomorrow is how I'm living my life. Uh, But but, But, I want to, yeah. And look, and and I want to throw out one important point because the the, the one life thing is stressing me out right now. I'm sorry. Um, No, it's a good point. Oh. But here's the other thing I want to point out is a lot of moms think that what this means is, okay, when my kid is finally asleep or when they're at school, that's when I have to squeeze in my self-care, my coffee with a friend or my five minutes of meditation or whatever it is. And basically it's this idea that we moms have to squeeze in our time into these little nooks and crannies that are left over once all of the kids' needs have been met. And Like, it doesn't matter how inconvenient it is. And this is drilled into us from the moment our baby is born. Because what are we told? 
sleep when the baby sleeps. Really? Because my baby slept for 20 minutes in the car while I was driving. That's really when you want me to sleep? No, actually, I got really good sleepers too. So I'm going to shut up about that. But the point is, I that advice makes me banana pants because it's like, it just doesn't work. And so it is okay to inconvenience your child so you can take care of what you need to do. And obviously this doesn't work for an infant who's like, really hungry and you can't just be like fine baby lay there crying for an hour because I got to finish law and order like (laughs) I still love law and order I'm not gonna lie but as your children get older I remember my dad used to run errands all the time he was a single dad and leave us sitting in the car and my sister and I there were no tablets there was no like xm radio we'd be sitting in that car for like half an hour in the hot sun windows down don't worry bored out of our minds yeah and now not only can you not do that but like the police would be called on you. But the point is, I mean, it's okay to say no to your kids if they want to do something that just doesn't work for you. It's okay to let your kids be bored because you're doing something else. It's okay to get somebody else to give them a ride, even if they would rather you give them a ride. I mean, it really, and as the kids get older, you will have more freedom and flexibility with this. And so I really want moms to hear this, that it's not just about, like, it's not like you plug in all of your kids' needs into the Google Calendar first, and then whatever little slots are left over your time, it's a balance. Like, there are going to be times, you know, I'm not going to my 20th college reunion this summer because I really want to go on this sleepaway weekend with their school. And so I'm doing that for that for them, and I feel good about that. But there are other times when I'm like, sorry, kids, you can't do that because it doesn't work for my schedule and the things I want and need to do. Yes. And it doesn't just have to be work stuff. It can be I'm having this girl's weekend away or sorry, it doesn't work for me to drive all the way across town so you can have a play date. Like we're going to have to figure out something else because I don't want to do that. That's okay. It's really okay. It's okay for you guys to, to get a ride home while I go to Costa Rica with Hunter in April. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm totally doing that. (laughs) But also one thing it's okay with, sometimes I think about this as like kind of a, a tiny little tip or, or something like along those same lines is it's okay to like, not watch your kids' practices. (laughs) You know, that is a golden time to be like, bye, have your life. I'm going to go have a little of my life too. That's right. Just saying, just saying. But I love that, Carla. It's okay to inconvenience your child to get your needs met. Yes. Because, and not only is it okay for you, but it's great for your kids. And I'll tell you why. When I worked in college mental health, I learned that college administrators have something they call a teacup list. And this is sort of a mental, it's not a formal list. It's kind of a mental list they have of these kids that come to college that are as fragile as a little teacup. And as soon as something doesn't go their way, they fall apart. And these are kids, they're just sort of mentally keeping their eye on so they can help them out. I mean, it's not a punitive thing. They just are aware that these are the kids that are more likely to fall apart. I do not want my kids to grow up to be teacups. I want them to grow up to be those big, thick glass beer steins that like my grandfather had that you can <laughs> slam on the ground and they don't shatter. And these are the kids that time and time again, get the good enough mothering. It's not the perfect mothering. There are times when they are inconvenienced, when they're annoyed, when their needs don't get met. And then they learn that they're okay. They learn again and again and again, I can be bored. I can be unhappy. I can be disappointed. I can be sad and I will be okay. So. When you are not meeting their needs, you're actually growing these lovely little beer steins. <laughs> this is such a weird <laughs> metaphor I'm stuck in though. You are growing these lovely little beer steins. As they become adults, they will not shatter 
the minute that they are disappointed or let down or don't get their way. So if you need to frame it, if you are so stuck in the mommy martyr mindset, which I understand, it was it was a big, long struggle and challenge for me to get out of it too, but you still have to frame this in terms of how does it help my kid? Just be like, beer stein, teacup, beer stein, teacup. I want the beer stein. Amen, and that means sister. I love letting it. your kid down sometimes and they'll be okay. They'll, they'll be stronger for it. Yes. Yay. Yay. I think that's a beautiful place to end this podcast. So I hope that this has really helped you, dear listener. And if you want to join some other moms and and get support on that, of course, go to the mindfulmamamentor.com events page and check out the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge. And Carla, where can people find out more about you now that they love you so much? Yes, they can go to CarlaNomberg.com. That's Carla with a C. And Nomberg is annoying, but do your best and it'll redirect you. Um, CarlaNomberg.com. They can sign up for my newsletter there. And I also intermittently update my mindful parenting blog on Psych Central. So those are two places folks can find me. All right. Thank you so much for chatting today and us finding the time (laughs) to, to get together. I always really enjoy it so much. Thanks, Hunter. Wow, Carla was just dropping the truth bombs there. I love that. I love when Carla does that. It's so fun. She's a great friend, and I'm so glad to have her on the podcast. So I hope you're going to be joining me. We are starting today. We release this podcast a day early so you can join me in the Unmartyr Yourself Challenge is for you if you are ready to reclaim your time, your sanity, and your joy. And there's already been hundreds of mamas who've joined this, so I hope you'll join them with me. And then this is to launch the Mindful Mama Transformation Group coaching groups. These groups will sell out. I'm looking for 12 women to join me. Looking for We're going to be meeting one group in the afternoon and one group in the evening. And this really can be the work that changes everything. You kind of be surprised. You think it's maybe all about parenting, but it's kind of all about you. And you know what? Everyone's always amazed at how their relationships with their partners improve after this coaching. So it's a great, wonderful, intimate way for us to work together. I love, love, love my coaching clients, and I love them up with all kinds of gifts and things. And I hope that maybe the one of them is you. So you can check all that out at mindfulmamamentor.com. And they're over at the events page, mindfulmamamentor.com slash events. And yeah, I hope to see you and connect with you and get to know you better through that. And, and I also want to thank you. Thank you for spending your time with me. I know you have a lot of choices on how to spend your time. So I really appreciate that. You're inviting me and my friends into your ears and helping to water your good seeds. So, so thank you so much. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week, less stress, more joy. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Namaste, my friend. 
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.